electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The giveaway making headlines, Patagonia's founder parting with his billions. The company's CEO on the strategy. We take positions with the environment at the center consistently and vocally. And I think what I take away from that is people at least respect that we're very consistent. Vladimir Putin starting Russia's first military mobilization in decades as his invasion of Ukraine continues and Europe is stung by record high energy prices. And you're going to be talking about pubs, businesses that have to shut down because they can't handle this. Axios's Mike Allen on What's Next. I think you can expect to see President Biden go after Putin on attacking the rules-based order. Plus, e-cigarette maker Juul sues the FDA, and anxiety is everywhere. But is there an age limit? What am I, chopped liver? You know, I may get anxious today, just to show them. It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you buy, in three, two, one, kill please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and it is decision day for the Fed. We're going to hear what the Fed actually plans on doing this time around. 75 basis points is what's expected, but it's really the language that we hear from Jay Powell after all of this. But of course, we've already seen the pain to this point. You saw all of the major averages down somewhere between 4 and 5% last week. Those losses have continued this week. Let's talk about uh, the Fed. Uh, because, as Becky just said, today is decision day. Widely expected to hike rates by three quarters of a point. That would be the third such move in a row. Beyond that headline, though, investors are going to be closely watching the 2 p.m. release of the Fed's quarterly forecast for inflation, the economy, and the future path of interest rates. Fed funds futures show the markets are now pricing in a terminal rate of 4.5 percent by April. So, and, but I think uh, we're just going to focus on what he says. Yeah. I doubt the number is going to be unless it's I mean, unless the number is 100. <laughs> but I think it's going to be all in the words, don't you think? Yeah, and and we went down yesterday, so I'm hoping that once he does it, we'll go up. But I, I mean, not that I, I don't care. But you know, it's been rough. It's been rough, and we're back. I don't care until you look at your. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do care. Uh, but oil's up uh, a little bit. Oil's very interesting, and now I'm worried about oil. I'm worried that. How much of the SPR are we depleting? Are we gonna we're gonna build it back up, right? They said they're gonna build it up if they're considering it at least if it falls below eighty dollars a barrel. Um, we'll see. There it is. It's up a little day, eighty six dollars. There was a build in inventory, but it, you know, like everything else, any build in inventory is like, oh god, the economy is bad uh, yeah, globally. So what do you want to see? Higher I don't prices know. Or lower I'm prices? not. I don't know anymore. I don't know what I want to see. I want to see something good on Netflix, and it's been a while. That's all I'm asking for. We want to get to that unfolding crisis in Europe. Germany now saying that it will nationalize one of its largest utilities, Uniper. Uniper is the country's largest importer of gas, and it's been hurt by reduced gas flows from Russia. Germany is dealing with soaring energy costs ahead of what is expected to be a very rough winter for consumers there. 
In the meantime, in the UK, the British government is outlining a multi-billion pound bailout plan, something along 40 billion pounds, to try and help companies with soaring energy bills. The UK says that it will cap wholesale energy prices for businesses for six months. Those levels would represent a discount of about 50% on the winter contract for electricity and about 25% on the gas contract. But guys, this is a kind of an incredible plan on both fronts. I guess if you're the German government, you're looking at this and saying, we are going to have to bail them out. Why don't we just nationalize it? Because how do you then kind of justify what happens later? You're talking about massive amounts of money that are going to be poured it's, into this. And pretty, I think the question comes, where's the money coming It's from? pretty desperate to get to that point. I think they're looking ahead and going, this is all we can do. Liz Truss we laying this well. out saying you're going to be talking about pubs, businesses, all kinds of businesses that have to shut down because they can't handle this. I think they're looking at it as... Uh, almost the, the equivalent of the global shutdown with the pandemic, bailing out these businesses that were going to be in so much trouble. We take a lot for granted. Our life is pretty cushy, for the most part, in terms of you plug that thing in there, charge up your Tesla, and you're on your way. Just, uh, just we got to make sure that the, the people sending it over the cables have something to send you. Especially compared to this, we got a developing story we want to tell you about this morning. Uh, Russia's President Vladimir Putin announcing a partial mobilization of his country's military this morning. Уважаемые друзья. Details coming in a national address. He's calling up reservists, and reservists, I should say, in what is seen as a very significant escalation of Putin's offensive in Ukraine after a series of military setbacks. In calling for Russia's first mobilization since World War II, Putin now saying if the West continues its, quote, nuclear blackmail, Moscow would respond with the might of its vast arsenal. Defense stocks are trading higher this morning on those comments, and we are now in a more precarious place than we were even yesterday, which Isn't is hard it crazy to believe. To hear this story with the militarization of Putin calling it up for the first time since World War II, hearing about the extreme measures they're having to take with energy and gas in Europe, yep. and then knowing you've got the Fed decision coming out where they're going to hike rates by at least 75 basis points, and you're still looking at the Dow indicated up by about 91. I guess that tells you how far we have fallen in well, the last so couple of weeks. How far we've fallen, or do you think that this? I mean, I would put this as a as a high risk, but maybe the markets are, are clearly saying not such a high risk on a relative basis to all these other issues that we're contending with. E-cigarette maker Juul is suing the FDA for access to documents supporting the ban of its products from the U.S. market. Juul says that it wants to see scientific justification for that ban. But I think a lot of what happened at the time was the marketing around it. They were marketing these flavors to children behaving badly, and part of that ban, a huge part of it, well, the reason it started is because kids were picking up vaping at such high levels, or picking up Juul, I should say, at such high levels. You guys see it around? You, you hang out here. If the, the people, Juul? Yeah. You see, like, smoke rising from people from that you don't even know where it's coming from? I think from they're smoking pot. That's a lot. <laughs> well, you can smell that. And it smells like it might be really good uh, from what, I don't know a lot about it, but Hanging it smells like it might highs. be might be really powerful stuff. But no, the jewel, all of a sudden I look at someone and, and I see whoosh, like they're a dragon. But is that different than vaping? No, I'm, I'm I, showing oh, no my, I don't know. I'm showing my own ignorance Boom, here because I, I don't know. Boomer. I don't know. <laughs> Boomer wannabe. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out. I don't know whether you guys saw it. Uh, adults under the age of six, adults under the age of 65 should be screened for anxiety disorders, uh, and all adults check for depression, but I'm just, 
once you hit 65, do it either they don't care that you have anxiety after that, or they just figure you're already so, it's like you're so far gone, doesn't much really matter. And you, no, they just say, under 65, we're going to check you. After 65, we don't really care. No, um, I think what, what, the, what I they think say. The problem, look, it, it, this is a result of the extreme anxiety so many people felt during um, the pandemic, especially among women, and I think it's especially among women who had school-age kids who were dealing with some of these things, too. So you, that's what you're attributing that age cutoff to? Well, they're going to screen you for depression I'm anyway. not. I just thought you were so much happier, Joe. I, that, I say you're that, so, so happy. Honestly, and, I think that's it. You know, you feel good in your own skin. Well, look, at, all, the, you know, look at the anxiety level in general between I've, us. I've, I, this, unbelievable. It, it, makes un, it makes a lot of sense, but they aren't basing it just on, on, on us. On you. <laughs> Are they? Clearly. No. No, <laughs> no but I think, it, look, it is, it does tend to be people who what have my chopped liver? Uh, you know, I may get anxious today just to show them that I, there's the anxiety still could Anx be. Anxious that you don't matter. I'm anxious <laughs> that I, that they don't really think that. They don't really give a crap about my anxiety. Oh, you know what the Eskimos do with people over age 65? Oh, I was, that's what I was going to say. Did, did uh, what's <laughs> this? On yeah, right. Did, uh, did, did Zeke Emanuel come up with it? You know, he's pushing. He's getting close. <laughs> he's getting close to 70. He's like, what did I say? I did, yikes. <laughs> Just to make Obamacare work. Uh, no, I, but I do think that people who have school-age kids probably had much higher levels of anxiety during the lockdowns with some of these things. They have seen rates skyrocket. I think they said something like 25% of men will at some point in their lives um, deal with anxiety, but it's much yeah. higher levels for women. What time are we supposed to be out of this block? Like okay, now you care about the times? You're the one who brought this up. No, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't even fake it. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod. Patagonia's pledge, the founding family redirecting their own retail billions to purpose. The company's current CEO, Ryan Geller, joins us. We're actually one of the few companies that have lobbied consistently and publicly for higher taxes, particularly in support of climate legislation. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Patagonia, not the place, but the clothing brand, has been in the news this past week. You might have heard about it. The founders of Patagonia is now giving away his entire company. The billionaire owner of Patagonia giving away the famous outdoor clothing company. 83-year-old Yvonne Chouinard. A climber, surfer, and lifelong environmentalist who, who just gave away his estimated $3 billion business. Patagonia? He's giving away his outdoor apparel company. 
the apparel maker, you know, the favorite vest of Wall Street bankers. You see it a lot on college campuses and for adventuring folks. It started half a century ago, and now Patagonia is worth about $3 billion. The founding family is transferring the privately held stock to a trust and group of nonprofit organizations, which will use all profits not reinvested into the business to protect the planet. In a letter about his decision, founder Yvon Chouinard wrote, while we're doing our best to address the environmental crisis, it's not enough. We needed to find a way to put more money into fighting the crisis while keeping the company's values intact. He explained why taking the company public wasn't a viable option for Patagonia, saying that even public companies with good intentions are under too much pressure to create short-term gain at the expense of long-term vitality and responsibility. The rest of Schwinard's family is aligned, letting go of billions of dollars. The kids believe that every billionaire is a policy failure. He said that. This story has built on a conversation we have been having here on Squawk Box for a while. How much does a company's mission matter to its bottom line and to its shareholders? And is that metric really the most important one we measure? Strive Asset Management's Vivek Ramaswamy, who has publicly urged companies to move back toward, quote, politically neutral behaviors, was on our TV broadcast just this week. And the clear message to corporate America is actually pretty simple. Focus on delivering excellent products and services to your customers over all other agendas and maximize shareholder value that way, rather than pushing these other social and political agendas. Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin invited the current Patagonia CEO, Ryan Gellert, to explain the next steps for his company. It's nice to see you this morning. This is a story that's really almost taken over the country by storm in terms of this idea that here's a family that says, we don't want to be billionaires. That was never our intent. And we're going to put this thing into a trust. Um, tell us the story behind the story. Did you, and, and, and to the point that we were talking about even during the commercial break, the idea that the whole country seems to be, to some degree, mesmerized by this, I mean, just in terms of the number of headlines about it. Yeah, I mean, as we were talking about on the break, I'm, I'm as shocked as anybody that that's the case. I think the thing I've taken away from that is people need some good news right now. And I think I, I you know, when I've read comments online and on social media, and people, some of whom don't seem to have a close relationship with Patagonia, say, you know, I just got emotional reading this this morning is pretty shocking. But the head, you know, how did this happen? A couple of years ago, we had conversations, a very small group, and Yvonne and his family made it very clear that after thinking for decades, what are we going to do with this company we built? We need to find a solution right. for that. How do you think this actually changes the company itself? You've run it as a private company. Yvonne's clearly said he wants to keep it as a private company, doesn't believe it should be a publicly traded company, thinks that almost perverts the process of managing a business like this. There's some people who worry, though, that when you're not a private company out to make money necessarily, that that might, quote unquote, pervert or at least change the incentives or dynamics around it. I think that what people fail to understand about Patagonia, both the past and today and the future, is that we're unapologetically a for-profit business. We're extremely competitive. The Chouinards are extremely competitive about the business. We focus on making high-quality products, standing behind that product for the life, the usable life of it. And we compete with every other company in our space aggressively. Um, so there's, I don't think we've lost that instinct. But do you think that changes at all in terms of how this, how this shifts? And does it change even in terms of like compensation, pay over time? 
Do you think that that's going to become an issue? No, I, I don't. And, you know, the fundamental thing, and you mentioned that the, that the Chouinards have given the company away to a trust. We've actually structured it as two trusts. And right. so the first is a purpose trust, and the sole purpose of that is to ensure we continue to run the company according to the values. And then the other is the Holdfast Collective, and that's where the profits of the company will go that we'll use to cash flow the environment. But I think this whole thing fails if we don't continue to run a competitive business, and included in that is taking care of our people. I think part of the question is who sits on the boards of each of those trusts, yeah. especially the one that is looking over the profits of the company. That, that yeah. matters. Yeah, and that will evolve. But right now, it is the family and some of their closest advisors. I've got a question about taxes. Mm -hmm. We talk about taxes around this table constantly. Yeah. And we talk about the role of philanthropy in taxes, whether philanthropy should be taxed, shouldn't be taxed. Uh, whether philanthropists are effectively being subsidized by the rest of us mm -hmm. uh, because oftentimes their money is not being taxed. Yeah. Um, the way this is structured, and there's been a little bit of confusion, I think, in terms of how it was uh, rolled out on this issue to some degree, effectively means that there are no capital gains taxes paid on the build of the empire, if That's you right. will. How do you think the country should feel about that? And how, how do the founders feel about that? Yes, yeah, so that has been discussed quite widely yep. over the last week. I think that was something that we anticipated, as has been reported, I think you wrote on this, that yep. we paid, the founders paid taxes on the 2% that were transferred to right. the Purpose Trust and not on and the capital And that was about $17.5 million. That's correct. Yeah, so the, uh, let's say two things. Number one, we've got a history of always paying our taxes. Right. We're very much a company that believes in that. We're very much a company that has avoided complex structures, both in the U.S. and globally, to sidestep taxes. We're actually one of the few companies that have lobbied right. consistently and publicly for higher taxes, particularly in support of climate legislation. Um, but but was, was the tax calculation at all part of the... Never thinking Never. in terms of the structure of this vehicle? I have to assume at some level there has to have been some with the, with the family, it was never a conversation in two years. With us, as we explored options and ultimately zeroed in on this combination of things, absolutely, we were not. It was not lost on us, the tax benefit via the 501c4. But with the family, it was very clear from the beginning there were two goals that they were focused on create a structure that can ensure the integrity and the values right. of Patagonia and cash flow the environment in but more I, meaningful ways now. Right. I thought Yvonne said in the New York Times that part of this was they looked at other structures and couldn't do it the way they wanted with other structures. That's correct. Probably in large part because of what the taxes would have done. You would that, have lost that control. That wasn't the case. No, it was controlling the company. So we looked seriously at but taking the company public. But that's what I mean, because public. of the taxes, you would have lost control of the company. No, too. we would have lost control of the company by selling the company. By so had we taken it public, yeah. or had we sold a minority that was going to translate or transfer into more than that, or of course selling a majority. Right. We felt like we had, we had very little confidence in meeting with quite a few potential investors that the integrity of the company would be protected. I have a different sort of just almost social question, mm -hmm. because we seem to be in a very politically divided country, uh, we talk about ESG. Mm -hmm. Your company stands for something in mm -hmm. a very meaningful way, I think. I'm curious how many people you think of your customers buy your products because of the technical nature of the product itself? And we're talking about the dye, for example, in your yeah. jeans, uh, fair trade and, and whatnot, versus what they think it stands for. Mm -hmm. And I ask because I think, there's, I think there's a consumer shift happening, but also we had a guy on yesterday who's starting a fund uh, who believes that actually companies are now have too much social purpose and, mm -hmm. and shouldn't take social purpose into consideration at all. So I'm sort of 
curious how you think about what's happening here. Well, I, I think he asked two questions. One is about our community and our customers. So the way I think about that, and I, I was running our business in Europe for six years and, and trying to really build a philosophy into the team over there. The thing we talked about all the time was if people come to the product through sport, come to the brand through sport and product, great. We're proud of what we make and what we stand for. People come to the brand through mission and values, great. There should be no compromise in either way. I think one of the things that we found interesting is in the annual Axios brand reputation poll, we not only seem to consistently do quite well, we do quite well on both sides of the sort of the political divide. And that candidly is really encouraging, a little bit surprising because we take positions with the environment at the center consistently and vocally. And I think what I take away from that is people at least respect that we're very right. consistent. Do you think that all companies can do that or do you think that's very specific to, to Patagonia? And the reason I ask is because, as we were saying, we, we had a guest yesterday sending letters to, to Disney, mm -hmm. to Apple, to other big companies that have taken social positions. Yes. And they didn't go public. No, no. <laughs> and then the question is, can you do it? By the way, do you think that public companies can do it, should do it? You know, I think two things, and they're sort of contradictory thoughts. I think it's really, in this world, it's increasingly difficult to fake it. And so I think that companies that don't have a deep commitment to the things they espouse, I think it falls apart pretty quickly. So that's the, you know, should you fake it? Uh, I, I don't think that works very effectively. I think people see through it. I do think Is the implication we live, you think that most of these public companies are faking it? I think that there are a lot of them are. Yeah, I do. But, but you wouldn't, you don't have a problem with a company that has a deep commitment to, to earning profits for shareholders, employees, satisfying customers, um, it, it generating paychecks for people that pay taxes, um, all those things that we know that capitalism provides that has provided us with this incredible life that we have. Yeah, right? no, absolutely not. But I do have a problem when those things come at the expense of the planet and people. And so I'm not here to argue that capitalism That's where we, is we could the get into a much system. longer. We could get into a much longer conversation there because if we run out of hydrocarbons before we can replace them mm -hmm. because of all this ESG pressure, mm -hmm. you will see pain across the planet that you, that you would not like to see in developing countries. And, and, and I would we're seeing argue it in Europe right now. We're seeing the not the leading edge but we are starting to really live with the visible impacts of the climate and ecological crisis now and so I wouldn't I wouldn't concede when do you think that with India other. and China ramping up coal and everything else when do you expect to see these efforts of your founder actually start to impact the weather the bad weather that we see I think near I term I think it's a bit of a ridiculous question, yeah. so I'll sidestep it. All right. Ryan, uh, I do want to thank you for joining us. It's a fascinating story, and um, I wear a lot of Patagonia, so what am I going to say? Beth, thanks again. Thank Appreciate, Appreciate it. Next, on Squawk Pod, Axios co-founder, journalist Mike Allen, and the language of politics and presidential campaigns. 2024, it's just around the corner. The more legal trouble, the more financial trouble, the more political issues former President Trump has, I think the more likely he is to run and the sooner he is to announce. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand, Andrew, by in three, two, one. Cue, Andrew. 
Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. And the president will be addressing the United Nations General Assembly later today uh, here in New York City. Join us now with a look uh, at what to watch is Mike Allen. He's the co-founder of Axios morning. Uh, and co-author of Smart Brevity, How to Say uh, More with Less, which is impossible uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we will talk about it. Here is the, no, here, here's what I'll say. And I'll bet you you, you identify with me on this because this is, looks like a, a great read. I, the first book I, I read about journalism was, was Mervyn Block, Shorter, Sharper, Faster, who, who really relied on strunk and white elements of style. Yeah, too bad nobody listened. Nobody did listen. But when I write, I try to. Subject, verb, object. Uh, keep it in the active. Use Anglo-Saxon words, not Latin words. Uh, no commas. No dangling, you know, no run-on sentences. Right? Uh, these are all the th and, and, and if someone's at home doing the dishes or something, they can understand what you're saying on, on TV. So I understand, at least for broadcasting, but you think across all media, it should be short. Absolutely. And if you're... How was my question? It was like four minutes long. <laughs> you nailed it, John, as always. Yeah. Uh, no, if you're running a company and you're not thinking about the cadence, the tone of your communication, like you're doing it wrong, if you have even one person working remote, like you have to rewire how you communicate. So Smart Brady, the book, uh, it captures what I, Jim Vandehei, Roy Schwartz, my co-founders, what we've learned in 16 years of leading media companies. And what we found is that if you can say something sharply, that means that you have a sharp strategy and sharp thinking. The other way around, the person who just talks, just goes on, like that's usually foggy thinking, foggy strategy. We introed this. Uh, I wanted, I'm glad we talked about that. We got the book out of the way, but okay. So how, how do you think uh, President Biden is going to do in terms of following the, the think we'll do, what's he gonna talk about it at the United Nations? So we're gonna hear a full-throated defense of the West's approach to Ukraine, but here's what I would watch for, is I think you can expect to see President Biden go after Putin on attacking the rules-based order, a systemic global uh, argument. And what's fascinating about that is it connects with what I think we're going to hear more and more from President Biden domestically. Like President Biden, I think that uh, our reporting shows that the Independence Hall speech is the beginning, not the end. But as I stand here tonight, equality and democracy are under assault. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. And I think that you can hear, expect to hear him talk a lot about what they internally, their euphemism is illiberal forces. So that's election deniers, that's insurrectionists. I think you're going to hear the president calling that out more and more. My reporting shows that he's very aware of the sort of dark tone of the Trump speech in Youngstown, Ohio, and I think we're going to hear more about that. We are going to end crazy Nancy Pelosi's political career once and for all. Under Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, and the ultra-left Democrat Congress, our country is being ripped apart and the American dream is being torn to shreds. Sad, sad, sad what's happening. 
They're competing for darkness, are they not? Well, uh, you can argue that rematch has begun, right? Because uh, they both clearly are engaging the other and more and more for years, right? President Biden rarely said Trump's name. Like, I think he's going to become increasingly clear about what he sees. Is that because he wants to run against Trump again? Is he choosing him as his... Um run his opponent or it's always a mistake right like uh, that never seems to work out but i don't think he has any choice i think they recognize the gravity of the fact that at the moment if president trump wins president runs president trump is going to be the republican nominee and if you look at his most recent rallies that's clearer what do you think the chances are that he really runs and what do you think the chances are that something happens legally or otherwise i mean I, i know everybody's uh, a Twitter on Twitter about what, whatever you think Letitia James is going to be saying today and well, others. I think, I think they're right to be a Twitter about that. And it's very possible that that uh, announcement uh, is even bigger than decision day that we've been talking about uh, around this uh, table. But the, the twist on that is it's been true for a long time. The more legal trouble, the more financial trouble, the more political issues former President Trump has, I think the more likely he is to run and the sooner he is to announce, because of course he sees it as protection. He sees it as a way to say, oh, it's all political. Do you think um, that the president prefers to talk about this rather than maybe some of the, I mean, the Fed's meeting today. Have you listed the, I'm I'm gonna list them a little bit later, but have you looked around? Do you want me to mention a couple of things that are happening economically? Well, uh, in keeping with the anxiety theme of the first hour. (laughs) uh, I mean, it's, it's really pretty staggering. I mean. Inflation, 40-year highs. Two straight uh, quarters of negative GDP growth. We might get a third. Mortgage rates uh, have doubled. Stock market is in a brutal bear market. No rise in, in household income in two years. It's actually You're been, been down. You're saying that Yeah. So think, but think about, th- what, would you, what would you point to that, wow, I'm doing a bang-up job domestically? Well, uh, they're going to, of course, most recently point to heading off the rail strike. But what I would say about that, list and what I'm going to be watching for this afternoon, like a, a fasting phenomenon in polling, and you see it across polls, are people think the country's headed off a cliff, but you ask them how they are, people just say, now I'm doing okay. Or people think their personal situation right. is good. Like, I think that headlines like your team is expecting from this afternoon, like that, that could help change that. And like, like if I'm in the White House, if I'm Democrats, um, seeing the red wave, which had turned into the red ripple, but it's, it's headed back toward uh, a red wave. Like, I really worry about the psychology of that uh, announcement. Even people who don't understand it, don't really internalize it, they're like, oh, that's not good. That could lead to uh, trouble for me uh, and my family down the road. Yeah, and Biden was pretty defensive about that. President Biden was pretty defensive about that in 60, when he was interviewed by 60 Minutes this week. Um, just that pushback that, wait a second, it's not that bad. It's, not, it's, it's slowing down. It's not going up as quickly. Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month is just, uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it is good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not, you're, I, mean, I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2%. It's, been, it's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that, but guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely, it's been basically even. Never want to be explaining, never want to be saying it's not that bad. Anytime you catch yourself 
saying that, uh, even if you're saying it shortly, sharply, efficiently, uh, in smart brevity, uh, that is not, uh, that's a problem. I asked you before about whether Trump runs, but what do you think about Biden? And if not Biden, who? The, if you look at the President Biden's uh, string of wins, I think he's um, clearly warming to a fight. And my reporting uh, shows that he was exactly right when he said on 60 Minutes, he has not decided for sure. I think people close to him would tell you he's warming more to it. And I think we're going to see that with this increasing uh, willingness to take on the fight for small d uh, democracy. Um, if it's not him, I would look outside Washington, uh, uh, Governor uh, Granholm of Michigan. Uh, I would look at if uh, Senator Warnock in Georgia wins and uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll just this week had him tied uh, with Republican Herschel Walker, which was a surprise because Herschel Walker is an awesome Football player, he's turned out not to be as awesome of right. a candidate. candidate. But if uh, Senator Warnock would win, he'd be one to watch. Yeah, I'm surprised he's tied. I'm not surprised that. Right? He said it's got something to do with economic issues uh, as well. I mean, he's got there's some baggage there. He said he didn't want to debate uh, Senator Warnock because he says I'm not smart enough to, to debate a really smart guy. I'm just a former. I mean, he sort of he cops to that. Maybe he's lowering expectations. Uh, to some extent. So what happens with the House? The House goes, but not to the extent that people thought. And which way is the Senate? 70% you know, they keep it or, or we don't know? No, no, that's a change. So uh, one at a time, the House, uh, there was a time that we saw a red tsunami coming, right? 40 seats. Now it's more like 25 right. seats, but that still is a remarkable change since they only need five to flip. And we're already seeing uh, House Republicans are going to move on that. They're going to use that. We were just chatting uh, out here about the fact that uh, something that is new is uh, House Republicans have already told Biden cabinet departments, keep your documents, investigations, hearings are coming. And then on the Senate side, that's when there's been a real change. And Axios had some great reporting about this this weekend from Josh uh, that where Democrats have been much more optimistic about keeping the Senate, like things have been moving Republicans ways, fundraising, polls, the in conversation. And even now you have Mitch McConnell uh, more optimistic. Uh, what are the things. numbers? I thought it was still 70, though, on, on, I don't know, some predicted or Nate Silver or something. I saw oh, 70. They, they keep it. Is it so, 50? So, uh, so or something. Is that your that's your source of truth? Uh, I've seen seven. Uh, you want me to find it? Have you you've seen the numbers? Oh, no, of course. No, of course. I'm just telling you that that's moving. Uh, and that's why you have reporters and not just predict models. It, predict right. it's, predict um, it's Senate. Uh, but uh, real quick. So you're on, saying they, they might take the Senate, the Republicans. Yeah. I uh, want to hear you say that. I'm not trying to dissuade you from yeah, saying no, that. No, uh, the reporting shows that Republicans have a much better chance of taking the right. Senate than they did shortly. And you just heard Mitch McConnell say this behind the scenes to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, this week. Hans Nichols got inside that and found that... Uh, uh, Leader McConnell, who'd right. been talking down. 6239 uh, today, predict it. Mike, real quick, because we, we. Down from 70, so? Uh, down from you 70. Could, you so could say right. that Republicans yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow, you act surprised. Somehow, I am surprised. Somehow, the, 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 the phrase or name DeSantis has not come up at this table uh, during this conversation. What do you think of uh, both the, uh, the flights to, to, to Massachusetts, but also what you think the implication is if he really is running? Well, there's been a real move in his polling away from him, uh, which I think is going to be uh, people are really... So you think there's a losing strategy? Really going to be... We don't know. Um, 
it, uh, so far it has not had the uh, effect that he expected. And moving away from there's polling, boards. yeah, there's polling just this morning, um, moving away from uh, DeSantis. Either way, what we know is with his reelection race in November, that's a reelection race like none we've ever seen. If you look at the staff, you look at the spending, why is that? It's clearly a trial run for a presidential race, run up but the you still think he's score, win in Florida. show strength. You still think he wins in Florida? Uh, there's no, there's uh, no uh, sign otherwise. Right. Yeah, okay. he's, he's the clear, clear favorite there. Mike, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, run your company better. Be heard. Brevity. Smart brevity. Look smart at this brevity. guy. He's got Smartbrevity. it all. Smartbrevity.com. Thank wow. you. It'll give you power. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know what you think. Send us any comments about this podcast on Twitter. Our handle is at Squawk CNBC. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.